Thanks for tuning in to High Point Assembly's podcast, where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. In case you haven't noticed, there are two major components to just about everything in life. First of all, there is the preparation, and that is always followed by the presentation. And both of them are essentially important. When building a home, a new home builder must first lay a good foundation. They gotta make sure that the, uh, the walls are plumbed, that the electrical and the plumbing are done up to code, and then they make sure that all the finishing touches are accomplished before they turn the keys over of a brand new home to this new homeowner. I don't know how many of you have ever had a chance to go to a, one of those high-class restaurants, but before the chef ever brings you his, the food, he has not only taken time to prepare it, but he's put a great deal of thought into how that food is going to be presented on the plate that he puts before you. Even preparing for a sermon like this morning, you have hours of preparation, and now is the presentation portion of it all. I mention this because as we continue in our series, from the book of Colossians that we have titled, Made for More. Like many of the other epistles in the New Testament, you will find that they often begin with the first half being about the about preparation, the preparation that is going on inside of you, knowing who you are, knowing what it is that Christ did for you, while the second half is all about this. Because of that, because of what Christ did for you, because of all of that, here's now how you ought to start living your life. I've got to tell you, over the past several weeks, I've been really, really pleased hanging out in this first part of the book of Colossians, because we've covered some very important truths that are foundational to our Christian walk. Much of it has been about our identity in Christ Jesus, which is a very important thing for us to remember, lest we forget. So the point is very simple. If we can get the first half right, if we can truly grasp our identity as a follower of Jesus Christ, then how we live our lives daily will flow out of what we know ourselves to be. Does that make sense? And this is where preparation and presentation actually connect. Now, before I get into my message this morning, I want to uh, point something out to you. If you will recall, if you were here, in week one, when we started this series, I challenged you to start memorizing some of the scriptures of the key verses because in this book, because they are foundational, as I said, to our Christian faith. And I want to put a few of them up on the screen this morning, and I want to do a quick review of some very important scriptures that you might want to memorize and, and remember because they're so important to our Christian walk. The first one is Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The first half of that scripture is what Christ has done for us. You have been qualified by God to share in the inheritance. 
The best example I can give is, is when a kid is waiting in a line at an amusement park to go on a ride. And as he gets closer to, to getting on that ride, there's often a little cutout of a, of a human being standing there with his hand out or pointing, and it says, you must be this tall in order to ride on that ride. And if the kid is short, he can't ride on the ride. Well, the truth is, in life, we always come up just a little bit short, don't we? The Bible makes it very clear that we fall short of God's glory time and time again. But that scripture tells us, if I can use this as an example, that God stretched you. God qualified you to get on that ride. He has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and he has transformed you, or transferred you, excuse me, into a whole new kingdom, the kingdom of, of light. It is a kingdom of the son that he loves. It is full of forgiveness and it is full of redemption. And that's a key verse that we should all try to memorize. Now I want you to look at Colossians 1.27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that a great verse? God has chosen to make known to you and to I this great mystery. It's the mystery that Christ just isn't out there somewhere, but he is in you. And that, not just, that's not just the hope of a glorious existence in eternity, it's also the hope of a glorious existence as we live here on this earth. This is the only hope we have, that Christ is in us. Now look at Colossians 2, 6 through 8. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Verse 6 says, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. And how do we receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Through faith. By grace and by faith, it says, continue to live in him. And that word rooted there means to draw nourishment from him, to take your very life from him. That's who we are. We are in Christ Jesus. You know, there's a word that you see throughout the, the New Testament called sanctification. It is the process of becoming holy. It is the process of becoming more Christ-like. So this, this part of this verse says that we are rooted. That is our position in Christ. That would be called our positional sanctification. But then it says, and build up in him. That is our progressive sanctification. We are positionally sanctified in Christ, but our sanctification progresses by being built up in our ongoing relationship with him. Our position is that we are in Christ and are now becoming more and more like Christ as we are rooted and as we are built up in him. And then in verse 8, Paul says this. He says, see to it, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. It's not about rituals. It's not about religion. It's not about rules. None of those things have the capacity of changing the human heart. They just don't. It is, it's like I said last week, it is a Jesus plus nothing else plan for your life. It is all about him. And it's all about being rooted 
and it's all about being built up in Christ Jesus. And the last one I want to review is Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Paul says, because God was fully in Jesus and you are fully in Christ, then you are complete in Christ. Satan no longer has any authority over you. And death no longer has any power over you. Why? Because Jesus, the scriptures say, is the Lord over every rule and authority in the universe. Don't ever lose sight of these scriptures that we just reviewed. They are very important verses that you ought to try to commit to memory because they have everything to do with your identity as a follower of Jesus. You see, if you walked around without understanding your true identity in Christ, then I fear you will never live the kind of victorious life that God desires for you to have. Now, my reason for reviewing all of that with you is because we are now entering into chapter 3. And this is where Paul begins the second part of his epistle. He is now working on the presentation portion. And we're going to read our scripture reference this morning it's in its entirety. And then we will go back and we will break it down as we move along. We're going to be reading Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 11, and it'll be up on the screen behind me. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along. Colossians 3, 1 through 11. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I want you to notice that Paul starts out this scripture reference that we read this morning with two words, since then. And it's here that you can clearly see that he is moving on to something else. And this something else is going to hinge on the whole first half of who we are and what God has done for us. You see, the truth of the first half will transform your life as you live out the second half of this letter. I want you to look again at what it says in verses 1 and 2. 
Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart, on, your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it in a nutshell. It is an imperative that tells us that there has to be a shift of focus. If we are going to experience the victory in our Christian life, if we are going to maintain confidence in our identity as a follower of Jesus, we must keep seeking things that are above. Now understand, setting your mind on things above isn't instruction on how to live when we arrive to heaven. You don't need to know how to live when you arrive in heaven because in heaven you won't have financial problems. You won't have relational problems. You won't have to deal with anger issues or loneliness or addictions or, or health struggles. This verse is instruction on how to live here on this earth in our new identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. God wants his people, his children, to exhibit heavenly living here on this earth. And that is where your, new, your and my new identity becomes paramount. Your mind, my mind, must have a heavenly focus in order to have an earthly application for your life. There must be a divine perspective. Why do we keep seeking things above? Because that's where Christ is. He is seated at the right hand of God. And the right hand is a place of power and, and of recognition and credibility and, and dignity and strength and power and dominion. And when Jesus ascended, he went to God's right hand to receive all of this forevermore. He completed his task. And now he is seated at the right hand of our Heavenly Father. And so when you seek Jesus, you are seeking that which is honored. And God will honor anything or anyone that honors his son. If you seek to have a renewed mind, God will honor that. And he will empower you to, in fact, receive that. So when you seek Christ, you honor God. And when you honor God, God honors you with the daily victories that you desire. So focus your attention Set your mind, place your affection, which is really a decision of your will, on the things above where Jesus is, seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, there's an adage, an old adage in Congress that says this, how you stand depends on where you sit. And of course, they are talking about partisan politics. But I think that the, the same thing is true with our lives. How you stand as a follower of Jesus depends on where you sit. Simply put, if you know your position is in Christ Jesus, then it changes the way you live your life. It changes the way that you look at life. It changes your attitudes, and you start to look at things at an entirely different way. So, Paul says, set your mind on things above. Well, then he says in verse 3, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now secure. It's kind of in a, in a safety deposit box, so to speak, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 4, he continues, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, when Christ, who is your life, not another spoke in the wheel of your life, but when Christ is your life, when he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The Apostle Paul once wrote in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. He's saying, I have been, and I continue to be crucified with Christ. I continue to die to myself every day and live for Christ every day. Paul also wrote in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 12, and it'll be up on the screen behind me. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. He is referring to to the old self. The, the one that lived under the law, lived under the rule of sin. The Greek term that is used here means rendered ineffective or powerless to be done away. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Friends, it is is God's job to transform us. But it is our job to die to our old self. If we will die to our old self, then God can do the transformational process called sanctification within our lives. And notice we, I called it a, a, a uh, transformational process because it is a process. We are transformed immediately in position when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, when our name is put into the Lamb's book of life. But being transformed, functionally speaking, meaning the way we live our lives and serve and interact, well, that is a process. And it will go on until the day that you die or until the day the Lord takes us home. And you bear responsibility for playing a part in this process. It's not all on God to wave a wand and say, voila, you're you're, you're sanctified. You see, there are some things that God will not do for you. God will not renew your mind for you. The word of God, it says, will do that in the scriptures when you choose to read it, when you choose to to meditate on it. But you got to read it first. He will not put on the full armor of God for you. He, he has it available to you, but you've got to put it on every single day. God will not make the words of Christ dwell richly in your heart if you don't know what those words are. Again, you've got to get in the scriptures and you've got to find out what they are. You've got to study his word. He will not pray to himself on your behalf because it is your responsibility to set aside time to communicate with him, to, to commune with him to build your relationship with him in prayer. Those are the few things that we need to do in cooperation with the transformational process that God wants to do within us. That's why Paul comes along here and he says, come on, it's time to die to the old self because that's our part. You know, it kind of reminds me of a caterpillar those furry little worms and they, they climb through the forest and they climb up a tree as high as they can go with all their strength. And then they get to the end of a branch and what do they do? They just give up. They just roll over and and having this little button thing starts to, button looking thing starts to form a cocoon all around them. And in time, they burst out wide as as a beautiful butterfly. So how did this butterfly thing happen? 
Well, God did this thing called metamorphosis, but it required that the butterfly stand up and say, I'm ready to die to trying this myself. You see, that likewise is our responsibility to die to the old nature so that God can transform us from the inside out. Let's get back to Colossians because here's the place where Paul gets to in his letter. I want you to look at verse 5. And here he, he clearly spells out our part in this process. This is really where the second half of this epistle starts. Paul starts with the words, put to death, therefore. That's powerful imagery. You got to kill the old nature. You see, the problem is that most of us don't want to kill our old nature. Instead, we choose to appease it. But you got to snuff it out. You got to strangle that thing to death. There's an old saying that say old habits die screaming. Well, you know why that is? Because it's dying and it wants to live and it's screaming while you're strangling the breath right out of it. I mean, I think this is a tremendous idea. If you know who you are in Christ, I mean, if, if you and I know who we are, then it ought to change the way we are, right? That's what Christianity is all about. Look at verses five and six. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, he says, the wrath of God is coming. If you notice, this is what I would call a regressive list. It says here is what you need to kill. You need to put to death sexual immorality. You need to kill it. Sexual immorality refers to all forms of sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage. The word of God is absolutely clear on this. There, there's no quibbling about this at all. It means exactly what it says. Put off all sexual immorality. You need to put to death impurity. Impurity is the word for uncleanliness. And this refers to what we would call perverted forms of sexual immorality. He says you need to put to death lust. Lust refers to erotic passions that are aroused by, by visual things. And pornography clearly falls in this classification, men. And as I said at the last service, it's not just men. There was a time where pornography was a man thing. Now women are addicted to pornography as well. Pornography falls under this category. It does nothing but produce lust in the mind and the heart of human beings. Anything that is sexually arousing, whether it be literature or movies or novels, whatever it is, it needs to be denied. He says you need to put to death evil desires. Evil desires are, are closely associated with lust. It is a mental uncleanliness. It is exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said those famous words, that if a man looks at a woman and lusts after her in his heart, he has already committed adultery in his heart. Paul also says you need to put to death greed. The scriptures make it very clear that greed is a form of idolatry, as well as those other things are. When the Bible mentions greed, or when it mentions covetousness, it's about a desire that we have to possess. It's about lusting after money and the things that our money can buy. What's the danger in that? The danger in that is it can become like a God to us. When you spend more time pursuing wealth and things and possessing more, it can become an idol. 
that you worship in your life. And Paul says, because of all of these things, the wrath of God is coming. He's saying, but that's not who you are anymore. I mean, the wrath of God is coming because of those things. This is the stuff that Jesus died for. These are the things that has God's nostrils of justice literally flaring. God said, I've got to do something about this. And so what he did is he sent Jesus to come and to make it right. And he says to you, and he says to, uh, to myself today, that doesn't belong to you anymore. That's just the old stuff, your, no, your old nature that must be put to death. That's not who you are anymore. Those are the things that should no longer be a part of your life, of a redeemed man or woman of God. Look at what Paul writes in verses 7 and 8. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. And that word really means to take off clothing. You must rid yourself of them. Just like Jesus left his grave clothes in that tomb when he walked out. Paul is talking here in terms of of garments, of pieces of clothing. The Greek language is talking about discarding old, filthy, nasty clothing. Paul is saying, listen, you need to take that stuff off. And then he provides another list. And this list is, is kind of a progressive list. He says, you must rid yourself of anger. That's that slow burn kind of anger. It's the one that kind of seized. It's seething with inside of you. It's all about bitterness. He says, you must rid yourself of rage. That's the quick strike. You, you light a match to it and it just explodes. You rid yourself of that. It has no place in your life anymore. He says, you must rid yourself of malice. Malice is the intent. Once you have that, that slow burn anger and, and, and you've got that quick strike anger, now your intent is to hurt somebody. Can you see the progressive nature in this? He says, you take all of that off because it's no longer who you are. Then he says, you must rid yourself of slander. Not only do you have the intent to hurt somebody, but now you're actually hurting them with the words that you're speaking. You slander. He says, you got to take that stuff off. Then you must rid yourself of filthy language. Again, you see the progressive nature of all of this. You've got anger. You've got rage, you've got malice, slander, and now you're vomiting all of this venomous words. You gotta turn off the flow of the mouth. In fact, the mouth is the billboard of the heart. Now, if you've ever noticed that or not, just listen to people talk long enough, you'll, you'll find out a lot about what's going on inside of them by the words that they speak. Well, that's easier said than done, Pastor David. I know that, but that is where the transformational process we're talking about comes into play. You put on a new self. And it says that that new self is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of our creator. As you fill your mind with God's word, you grow in your relationship with him, your mind becomes renewed. That renewal process allows you to slowly rid yourself of many of the past habits and practices that did not glorify God that once went on in your life. And you begin to live your life concerned about and with a desire to, to glorify God every day of your life in every circumstance of your life. Well, then in verse 11, he says this. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, 
circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, there are no labels here. We're all the same, and how I wish our world would understand this. He says there's no barbarian. Any, all non-Greeks were called barbarians. There's no Scythian. Scythian was the lowest form of a barbarian. There's no slave. He says there's no free. But Christ is all and is in all. That's who we are now, ladies and gentlemen. What he is saying is simple. You must be done with that kind of stuff. It's not about labels. It's not about anything else except who you are in Christ Jesus. That is your and my identity. Now look at what he says in verse 12. As he starts to wrap up the second half of this epistle, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, that's who you and I are, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Look at the imagery there. First he said to take off those old clothes, and now he's saying clothe yourself with some new threads. There used to be a TV show called What Not to Wear. I don't know if any of you saw it or not. My wife and I used to watch it. I found it quite entertaining. Uh, It's where a person gets a $5,000 Visa card, and they're told to go out and buy an entirely new wardrobe to change their entire image. In order to be on the show, a family member or a close friend would write into the producers of the show and say, this is my friend so-and-so, and she really looks like a slob all the time, and she's a beautiful woman, and she doesn't know how to dress herself, she doesn't know how to wear makeup, and, and some were men as well. And so the, the, the producers of the show would determine who comes on, and not only would they come on the show, but they would take footage, they would follow them around town and take footage of them in their, their frumpy clothing. You know, some people wore sweatpants every day of their life, and, and that's what this show was about. And, and, and uh, the family would say they present themselves so poorly in the public eye, from their hairstyle to their makeup and especially the clothing they wore. And, and the, the, the job of the host of this show was to do their best to let this contestant know there's a new identity in there somewhere to be found. And you've got to open yourself up and let this identity shine out. They would show these people what kind of clothing looked best on their particular body shape and and, and how to accessorize and how to present themselves. In a sense, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You know, we have an opportunity through Jesus' work on the cross of Calvary to make a whole new presentation of what Jesus has done in you. So put on your new wardrobe of designer clothes that are afforded to you by what Christ accomplished. Clothe yourself with the new jacket of compassion, with the new shirt of kindness, with the new designer jeans, if you will, of humility, with the new shoes of gentleness, because that is who you are now. You are not what you used to be. Your outward presentation now flows out of the change that has occurred in your heart by what has happened inside of you by the blood of Jesus. You know, if I was digging ditches all day long, wouldn't it be awful for me to come home, take a shower, and then immediately go back and put those filthy clothes back on? Paul is saying, why would you do that? 
Please don't do that any longer. Remember who you are in Christ Jesus. You've got an entirely new wardrobe to put on. You've got kindness. You've got humility. You've got compassion. You've got a whole new closet full of clothing. And it makes anything you wore before look horrible. This is quality stuff. This is stuff that is custom made for you. So wear it so that everybody can see that you are now a follower of Christ. Well, then Paul moves on to a new area in verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear comes from the word forbearance. It means to lovingly put up with one another in spite of our differences. Forbearance gives latitude to the failings of others. And then he says to forgive. And you've got to understand that this is at the very heart and foundation of Christianity. Just as Christ has forgiven you and I of our sin, we must forgive other people. This is not optional. This is mandatory. It's very common for us to walk around carrying unforgiveness on petty little things. Sometimes we carry unforgiveness for huge things that have happened in our life. But either way, we must have the capacity to forgive one another. If you ever found, have found yourself in a season where you're experiencing difficulty or you're discouraged, or maybe you're even doubting your salvation, oftentimes that can be traced back to unforgiveness that is going on within your own heart. You may not even realize it, but as you start to consciously backtrack, you'll often find yourself harboring bad feelings of unforgiveness towards someone else. And Paul says, this cannot be. We've got to freely begin to bear with one another and graciously grant forgiveness and extend grace in the very same way that Christ extended it to us. And finally, Paul says in verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This love is the finishing touch to your new wardrobe in Christ Jesus. And it is the greatest piece of the new wardrobe that you will ever wear. Because it is the one that stands out and is, is more easily seen by people than anything else. Paul says that it is this love that holds everything together in perfect unity. Do you remember that old song that said, they will know we are Christians by our love? Well, that combined with everything that, that Paul is mentioning here today is the presentation part of your life and of my life. It's how we present ourselves to this lost and cynical and dark and dying world. That's the new clothes you wear. That's the new heart you wear. That's the new mind that comes from having faith in Christ Jesus and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our individual's life. What Paul is saying is so simple. Now that you are in Christ, he says, you must become in practice what God already declared you to be. And I wanna say something here that you need to understand this morning. The way you see yourself is not the way that God sees you. He already sees you as what you want to become. 
And so if you happen to have a not so glorious past like myself, you often view yourself in light of your past mistakes and your past behaviors. And here's the truth. As you work to become deeper in the things of God, as you, as you work to become more Christ-like in your daily dealings, you are going to make mistakes along the way. Welcome to the real world. You will fall short of exactly what it is that you want to become. But don't think for a second that God is looking at you, shaking his head and thinking, oh my goodness, they are a failure. No, he already sees you as what it is that you want to become. And in order to become what you want to become, you've got to first shed that old identity. And that brings me back to the caterpillar that I mentioned earlier. That caterpillar cannot take credit for the transformation that went on in his life. No more than we can take credit for the new life and the new clothes that are offered to us and laid out for us through our relationship with Jesus. But what, imagine what would happen to that butterfly if that, that furry worm just kept crawling on his belly and he chose to believe that he was still a caterpillar. He would never fly. He would never experience his true potential that God created for him or it or her to have. And the truth is that neither will you and neither will I until we learn the first half of Paul's epistles. None of this transformation, none of this shedding of the old and putting on the new will occur until we can grasp and live within our new identity as a follower of Jesus. We can't wear those new pieces of clothing that Christ lays out for us unless and until we choose to put them on. What, what sense does it make to have a closet full of new clothes if you never ever wear them? It doesn't make sense. And yet, for some reason, many people refuse to put to death those things that Paul has mentioned. They refuse to shed the old, and therefore, they cannot put on the new. My greatest frustration as a pastor is when I see people who refuse to walk in their new identity in Christ because they choose to hold on to the old. They truly believe that they can live life with one foot securely planted in God's camp while the other foot still remains in what they used to be. I got news for you. That does not work. It is a recipe for failure. It is a recipe for the greatest frustrations you'll ever have in your life. So every one of us has to literally decide are we going to, how we are going to present ourselves to this world. Am I the same old person that I once was? Or am I a new creation in Christ Jesus? Once you make that decision, once you determine that you are indeed a new creation in Christ, your life will completely change. You will start to live with an entirely new identity, and you will walk securely in that identity, and that transformation process that we all so desperately need will happen. It will take place, and you will begin to see a difference in the way that you look, in the way that you feel, and the way that you project yourself to those who are around you, your family, your friends, your work associates, all those people that you come into contact with on a regular basis. Anthony, if you come forward and help me to close this down. I'd like to ask you all to stand to your feet if you would. You know, I've always believed that it is essential to provide a response whenever the Word of God 
is presented at this church or any church for that matter. See, I believe it is wrong when the Holy Spirit lays something on our heart and maybe even convicts us or challenges us over an area in our life and then we just walk out of here by ignoring those convictions, by ignoring those challenges that he places on our heart. It is truly one way in which we grieve the Holy Spirit. The Word of God talks about that. I believe a church service should be so much more than just a time of gathering or, or a social function. It should be a time where we come, we come with expectation, and, and, and we learn, and we grow deeper and stronger in the things of God. And, and when we're challenged, it is important that we respond because it's those responses that all are part of the path of the transformational process that God wants to put us through. And the truth is there are people here today and there are people who are watching online and you want, you really want the greater things of God in your life, but for some reason you can't kill those old things or maybe you don't want to kill those old things. You don't want to shed that old nature. And if there's anything that I want you to walk away from throughout this series of the book, in the book of Colossians is that you will clearly see what your identity is as a follower of Jesus and that you will learn to walk comfortably and not just comfortably, but you will walk boldly within that identity. Quit doubting what Christ has accomplished in you and for you and start living like a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Perhaps you've got some habits, some things that are still attached to you. They need to be purged from your life. Like the Apostle Paul says, you need to kill them. You got to strangle them. That's what this altar is for. Not only do you kill them, but when you come up to the altar, you lay them at the foot of the cross and you walk away from it and you don't let it get resuscitated again. I think there's such great symbolism when we come to the altar and we lay it at the foot of the cross. And then we walk away from it. But some people come and they lay it and then they pick it back up and they walk back to their seat. There's no freedom in that. There, there's no deliverance for that. You got to kill this stuff. Maybe you don't have an identity in Christ. You believe that Jesus exists, but you've never allowed him lordship over your life. Only he has the ability to change you. Only Jesus can, can fill that emptiness that you have inside. Up until now, you've tried, to, you've tried to fill that emptiness with everything that this world has to offer. But when it's all said and done, you're still empty. You're still hollow inside. Well, all you gotta do to receive salvation, to receive Jesus as Lord, the scriptures say you gotta believe and you gotta confess. You gotta believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to this earth and the, the death that he experienced on the cross and the blood he shed covers, atones, erases your sin. It erases your sin. And he makes you a new creation. And the confession part is just saying that in prayer, whether it's a verbal prayer, whether it's a prayer that goes on in your mind or spirit, it's saying, Jesus, I know you're the son of God. I know you are the answer. I know that you are who I need to cling to in order for me to live in eternity in the presence of God. So I give my life to you. I believe everything about you. I believe you are the only way to God. And today I submit my life to you and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And the Bible says that he is faithful 
He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I want to open up this altar today. I know I've said the altar is open since this COVID thing happened, but we haven't been actively having altar calls and we're trying to work out this whole online thing and how we end these services. And we're working on it and we'll get better at it. But I want to open up this altar. If you have anything that you want to lay at the foot of the cross today, this altar is open. You know, I said to the early service, we get very prideful sometimes in that we don't want people to know that maybe we're struggling in an area of our life. I think it's very normal. It's very human. And I think we're really good at that in the church because we don't want anybody to see a chink in our armor. When the truth is every person in here today, including your pastor, struggles with something in their life. Whether it be pride, whether it be a, a, a tongue that speaks way too much, whether it be greed, whether it be lust, whatever it may be, we all have struggles. But the point is, you can identify what that struggle is and you can continue to try to manage it yourself or you can do as the Apostle Paul says, you can put it to death. You can kill it and you can leave it here at the altar and then you leave understanding that the Holy Spirit of God will strengthen you to continue to keep that corpse there and you never go back and you never pick it up. Does that mean there won't be times of temptation? Absolutely not. You'll be tempted. But you have the strength of the power of God's Spirit within you to deny your flesh, to deny stepping back into your old life and being that old person that you once were. So I'm going to give you just another minute. If you'd like to come down here and connect with the Lord, please don't miss your opportunity. These are God-ordained moments. And the very answer to what you've been struggling with might be present and, and, it, and it's teetering. And it's going to go one way or the other based upon your obedience to what God is calling you to do. And for those of you who are watching online and those who are standing here, I would like to I'd like you to bow your heads because I want to pray for you. Those of you here at the altar, you can stay here as long as you want. Even when I say amen and people start moving out of this place, this altar remains open. Spend whatever amount of time you need with the Lord. But in the meantime, I want to pray for all of you out there online and those here. Let's bow our heads. Precious Father, I thank you for your word. As I've said so many times before, it's amazing that something written thousands of years ago have such great application to our lives today. And the reason they do is because we're human. God knows our nature. He knows the same problems that occurred 2,000 years ago occur in our lives today. Even though we live in a different culture, the truth is there are even greater things to tempt us today. But Lord, you said we should put death to those, those old things, those old habits. And so, Father, I pray for my church family. I pray for those who are watching online, some of whom I don't even know. And I pray today that they would have the courage to reach out to you and say, God, I want to put to death that, that lust. I want to put to, get, to death that, that issue with greed. I, I want to put to death my issue with pride and how it affects the things that I do. Whatever it may be, Lord, that they would have the courage to reach out to you and say, Father, I give this to you. I'm not going to be this way anymore. I'm going to be a new creation that you have created me to be. I am going to put on the new clothing that you have laid out there for me. Because the truth is, God, you have given us the best clothing we could ever wear. And it is the kind of clothing that people notice. It's the kind of clothing that people look at and go, there's something different about that individual. And as you said in the scriptures, it is that finishing touch of love that comes shining through. 
Father, I pray that that would be our heart's desire, each and every one of us, that we would not only kill the old, but that we would live within the new, and love would be the defining factor of who we are. That even though we get frustrated, even though things don't go our way, we can still love, and we can be kind, and we can be like Christ would. We can respond the way that you would. That's our heart's cry. So, Lord, I pray that you would touch the hearts of every man and woman and child in this place today that you would show them that you are a good God, that they would come to realize that you see them as you, they want to be and that you're not disappointed with them because you know that this too is a process and you are there to strengthen and to guide and to hold their hand along the way. The trick is, God, that we would get ourselves out of the way and that we would allow you, like that caterpillar, to take over and do the redefining work in our life. So, Lord, I pray that, that we would all reach out to you in prayer and say, God, I want more of you. I need more of you. I need you to transform me from the inside out. I want to become more a man or woman of God than I am today. I want people to see me and know that there is something different, and it is a love of Christ that shines through. That's our heart's cry. Father, I pray as, as these people at this altar and the people standing here and the people that are watching online are laying these burdens at your feet, that they would walk away and they would leave it lying there for you to take care of. It's no longer their burden. It's no longer their struggle. And they will trust in you and the power of your spirit to see them through. And Lord, I ask that between as we leave here today, that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing the things that we do, the conversations that we have, the words that we speak, that they would be words that would only edify and build up. They would be words that would honor the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross. That we would be people who encourage and lift up and people, not people who tear down. We would be those who, who love and not hate. We would be those who would contend with one another, even when we have disagreements, that we would understand that we still have common ground to stand on. And I still love you as a brother or I love you as a sister, even though we may not agree. That's our heart's cry. And most importantly, Lord, I pray between now and the time we gather together again that you would keep us safe from this COVID virus. You would keep us safe from any accidents, any disease, any sickness until we gather together again and we come into this place and we worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here today. Thank you for speaking into our spirits the truth that we need to hear pray that we will all act upon it. We will all honor you by living a life with the new clothes that you have given us and discarding the old man that we once were. And I ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen.